0: Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel, and welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change, leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, we're going to talk about managing risk in the face of ransomware with special guest, Steve Warren, CTO of
1: Intel Federal. Hello, Darren. Good to be here today.
0: Oh, you are you are on my show more than any other person I've had on my show.
1: <laughs> why Why is that? Well, I think a security is just a fun topic.
0: I think you're just a glutton for punishment. It's, that it's could be security too. guys, right? <laughs> right? yeah, you're, you're always dishing out fear, uncertainty, and doubt. and but you're not doing that today. you You actually have some some really interesting things we're gonna talk about about security and what what's coming up. Um, and how that, uh, that is, is going to affect uh, everyone.
1: So yeah, I mean, we're seeing some really interesting trends. If you look over the last year of what's happened in the marketplace, what's happened in the industry, um, we've seen uh, a rise in the number of attacks, the sophistication of the attacks, and it's really come down into sort of three key areas of attack. Um, I mean, again, cybersecurity is this huge domain. We see attacks across every possible Avenue or area, but three vectors really seem to be a recurring theme. And I don't think anyone would be uh, surprised that ransomware is probably at the top of that list um, with just the sheer number of organizations and companies being hit by ransomware. Uh, And the fact that it's just always in the news, the more uh, recent supply chain attacks, uh, you can think of SolarWinds, but there've been some other very interesting supply chain attacks that are of note. And then just the continuum of uh, data breaches. Uh, Most recently, McDonald's had a a, a global data breach and others. And so I think if you look at the the key trend, it's those three vectors are really the ones that keep happening over and over again or that really are stressing the systems. So uh, stop right there for a second.
0: Why do you think, because you kind of started, The attacks are becoming more sophisticated. So why is that? Um, Why are they becoming because those three vectors require sophistication, right? So why are we seeing more sophistication now? What, what's leading to that?
1: Well, I think it, you, know, you go after the money. And so organized crime, nation state actors and uh, other threat agents um, recognize that it takes sophistication to, to compromise and thwart the current security controls that are out there uh, to be able to stay stealthy longer so that you can do more damage or gain more data. And so in order to be able to be stealthy longer, to be persistent in the organization or to be able to, to uh, enable the scope and scale that they're looking for, it requires. A, it's a constant cat and mouse. So as our security controls in the security industry get better and get better deployed and our turnaround time on vulnerability patch management gets better and our detection rates get better, the adversary continues to get better. But I think one of the trends we've seen for a number of years is just the level of maturity that we're seeing in the threat agent and the, and the adversary. They, just like our own organizations have software development lifecycle processes, have you know sort of tools that they build off of and frameworks they work with, so does the malware community. They've got good process for building quality into their systems. There's purchasing and selling and borrowing of code amongst different organizations. They learn from each other. They share information. There's dark web information sharing. Where various different threat actors work together to build better threats, better malware.
0: All right. So what you're telling me is they're becoming better organized. They're hiring DevOps engineers, right, to run pipeline. So they're 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 actually running these like companies now.
1: Absolutely. Of, I mean
0: it's instead of just a ragtag team of hackers, right? The
1: the the, the threat agents are in the billions of dollars of, of outcome. And so in a billion plus dollar industry and depending on which uh analyst firm you look at it's either a nine billion dollar industry could be a 10 billion you know 30 billion the threat agents are making lots of money whether it be through ransomware through data breaches through credit card breaches and a variety of other mechanisms there is big money on the on the adversary side and that big money drives the need for maturity just like you have in the, in the positive side um, if it were a $100,000 market, you wouldn't have any maturity. But the fact that it's a, a billions of dollars, you're seeing people look at this as a business. And when you look at some business, you want maturity, you want integrity, you want quality code that actually works in the field because you're relying on it to generate the income.
0: So, so that with, with them taking a different approach, we can't just tag security on as a bolt on the side
1: anymore, is what you're saying. We haven't. That has been true for a very long time. Security can no longer be and can't be bolted on. It's got to be built in, and it's got to be built in everywhere. I think um, if you think about, you know, the the gospel that the cybersecurity people have been preaching for a long time is security isn't bolt on. It's got to be built in. So when you build your product, you have to build security features in. I think some of the learnings of last year is it goes further than that. It's not just the products you build, but the infrastructure and processes you use to build those products have to be secure. And that was one of the lessons of SolarWinds and some of the other supply chain attacks that even if you built a good product, the infrastructure that supports it was vulnerable. And so they were able to get in and modify your code no matter how good your code was to begin with. So that hardening
0: of your DevOps pipeline, the hardening of your delivery mechanisms, that that has to happen not only where it lands but through the whole factory, the software factory process.
1: Oh, absolutely. And beyond. Absolutely. I think one of the interesting things we've learned, um, just going to that uh, that sophistication, but there was a really interesting learning, and I don't think it's been said enough. Um, oftentimes, organizations think, well, of course, financial services and government and other regulated or high-value industries are going to be targets. And so, of course, they have to do better on security, but me and whatever vertical I'm in, I don't have to worry about it. The recent attacks, whether it be the JBS attack, which was the meatpacking industry, McDonald's, audi and others has shown that no one is immune and that we have all become super reliant on the digital infrastructure that we've deployed a ransomware attack took down the world's largest meatpacking industry that says volumes that means a that any industry any vertical is susceptible and b that every vertical is truly reliant on their information technology and their ot systems to be functional in order to be able to operate their business.
0: Okay. Now you scared me. I want to disconnect from, I, maybe I went into the wrong industry. I mean, I'm all about technology, but every, everyone's vulnerable now. So Steve, you got to give me some hope. Is there hope out there? I mean, what, what do I do? I mean, you're right. Meat, they attack the meat industry. I mean, come on. Yeah. Or they, McDonald's. They've... Why would you attack McDonald's?
1: Cause McDonald's has assets, has value. There's yeah. customer information that was gleaned. The meat pack industry, you know, they're you're looking at a ransomware because every day you're not producing meat and the meat is getting stale on the shelves is uh, is a problem. And so yeah, that's why they think dollars. about right. yeah. exactly. Um, so there is hope at the end of this tunnel. There's light, um, but it requires work. And so whether it be doing defensive depth or it's taking a look at some of the novel architecture around zero trust. Um, Better hygiene on our, on our internal processes, Sec DevOps, as you were talking about. These are all important things to do, but it's not a one. It's not a silver bullet. None of them by themselves will solve the problem. It's about having the diligence to apply the right risk metrics to your organization to implement security correctly. And I think that's the thing that's often missed. There's lots of security technologies. I mean, it's a 40-plus billion-dollar industry to do uh, in the cybersecurity space. The trick is understanding for your organization, what is the right level of security that you want to deploy for all of your different applications, your data and your infrastructure that takes being able to properly measure the risk of the, of your assets and of your business that takes work. And that's where we're seeing a lot of the stress. And we look at uh, what the cybersecurity framework from NIST really was about. It was about a framework for helping organizations properly perform risk management and risk determination. From that then goes, okay, what controls do I need to mitigate those risks that we we, had. So the the learning was that everyone is at risk. And like I said, you know, like you, like you, you aptly described, everyone is vulnerable. The solution is to understand what is my risk, so that I can secure it. If you don't understand your risk, no amount of security controls will actually do the job because you don't know you're applying it to the right place.
0: Yeah, because you can't apply it everywhere, is what you're saying. Because there's too many. That that's a, I, I think that's interesting too. There's too many tools. There right? I mean, what tool do I apply where? Um, you know, it's like it's like going into the hardware store nowadays, right? I can't just buy a hammer. Right? There's how many different types of hammers. I just want to hammer a nail. I just want to do something, but you can't do it because there's so many options and now there's training involved and doing it right. I still just get the biggest hammer I can find and use it.
1: Um, but here's the thing. If you were new what well, you were building a shed and using wood and you had wood nails, you'd know exactly the right hammer for the job. Um and that's o- what risk only, is about.
0: Only because I went to YouTube and looked it up. <laughs> and and And, you know, and that's harder to do with security tools, right? A lot of these tools, because i played around with them, they require a lot of knowledge up front to understand those things. So where do I go? If, if, you know, I'm a mid-sized company, or maybe I'm in a company that's not high tech, I don't have, you know, I don't have a bench full of expensive CISO or, you know, security experts, where do I go? Is there a place that I can go to to find out, is NIST the right place? Where do I go to find
1: out how how to go forward? So there's some really good questions there. Um, There are great resources out there, whether it be SANS uh, as far as training, uh, there's groups like ISACA for being able to uh, get access to information on how to do security risk assessment, how to do audit properly. So there are great organizations out there that you can get that information, there are companies that are their business is to help you understand your risk or help you understand how to deploy technologies to vet those things so there's lots of obviously lots of tools out there for you. The key is um, starting with what is the right set of policies and risk for your organization, one thing that I and I think that zero trust as much as it's been a market for a long time. One of the tenets of it is the is this notion of what's called default deny. And so, but even if you haven't fully figured out how to deploy a zero trust architecture yet, the premise of not allowing everything to have total access of just denying outright all access requests until proven that they deserve it is a step in the right direction. Because what that means is, is that you're putting up a gate before you ever get into the door. And then once you get in the door, there's another gate and every door you go through has got a lock as opposed to one master, you know, one master drawbridge and then everything is soft on the inside. That defense in depth approach of the default deny is one of the tenets of zero trust. There's a lot more that goes into it and we're not there yet as an industry, but I think that alone is a key thing. But if you are a CISO um, or a a, a, a CEO of a small business and you're worried about how do I properly do this? There are some great resources out there, whether it be things like, you know, if you're a big enough organization to have the resources to do a cybersecurity framework, great. If you're not, there are good trainings you can get uh, from SANS and ISACA. There's things like the security scorecard. There's uh, open source tools that are available. How do you rate your implementation across the, what they call the different vectors of security, so you know, detect, identify, authenticate, uh, re- recover. There's, there's tools out there called the Security core Card that will help you assess a particular application or a, t- a particular business process, but it takes work. And it, again, what we find is that small businesses often playing catch up yeah. because they just don't have the resources. And that's where companies like MSPs come into play. Um, managed security providers where they do this for on your behalf, it's important to note that you need to vet those companies well because they themselves have become recently have become targets. Of the ransomware and the and the supply chain attacks, because they know it's a it's a scaling function, if I hit one MSP that I get 1500 customers in one fell swoop, which is what we saw with the K- the Kiasa attack. So again, there's, there are things you can do, but again, there's always you know, a risk involved. So you have to properly evaluate that risk.
0: So I, I love how you said, let's use some managed um, security providers because if you're, if you're a mid-sized company, your, your strength is not necessarily cybersecurity. And just like you might have a security agency that uh, secures your physical plant, you wanna do the same thing for your infrastructure hire someone that understands how to do it that can always be i love that i love that approach i think that's a good approach
1: but one thing i would say though is that even though you're not going to have the team you're not going to have the money to afford a large team you should still always have one at least somebody on the inside who is trained who is an expert because you wanna be able to have them have that local context and domain experience inside your organization to work with that MSP. Because if you punt everything outsource and have no training or or people inside that can take that and build that in, it's always gonna be outside. You're not gonna be bringing that knowledge in and proliferating it through your organization. Because it's, again, even with the MSP model, all they're doing is managing your security tools and configurations for you. They're not imparting a lot of security wisdom to your business units, to your IT folks and so forth.
0: So you still need a CISO that establishes your security policies, your posture, your risk assessment. You still need someone to do that work.
1: Absolutely, and you need that person to have, you know, a, a, a several security architects or implementers so that they can go forth and actually help the organization better prepare and be able to deal with events. And so you still need, even if it's not a big team, every company should have a team. It has to, and in the light of the recent attacks and threats that we're seeing out there there's no excuse anymore to say oh no i just didn't have enough money to to fund a small security team so let's talk about money
0: because ransomware seems to be the biggest money maker in this in, in this industry right now well it's the most visible mm-hmm. okay so what what do you do to help counteract ransomware just some
1: simple tips It's a good question um, when we look at mouse. So a lot of the good tips are sort of before you get hit, probably after you get hit, you're really in a bind. So we'll talk about that in a second. Okay, beforehand, there are some things you number one backup backup regularly, and keep backups offline, have pristine copies of your data, and of your systems and of your applications and of your configurations in an offline out-of-band storage environments, whether it be taped backup, if you're, you know, God forbid you're still using that, an offshore, you know, a cloud-based service provider, a USB stick that you keep in a vault, have pristine copies of your data and of your most critical infrastructure and data sets and architectures, so that if you get hit, you have the ability to recover, even if it's going to take you time to buy the systems and, and deploy them, your data, at least some form of it still exists. That's now, one of the things that-
0: how long do you need to keep those back? Because sometimes you may have the ransomware sitting
1: in your backups, won't you? I mean... Well, that's the, the key is, is that the, the ransomware, is, you know, once it starts doing its damage and starts encrypting files, it's fairly quick that you find out it's done. It's, it typically waits and then it starts encrypting things. And then by the time you figured it out, it's done the encryption. If you're doing regular backups, of data, of the data itself in clear form or encrypted by your applications and you're verifying those but again it's got it can't be just well just back backup whatever that directory is I don't need to look at it, because you'll be backing up the, da- the encrypted. Uh, data sets, but if you're monitoring the data and making sure that you've performed the appropriate encryption and controls on that and you've got security controls on what can access those databases. That will give you some, you know, some pristine version, and you want to have a good six months of clean backup data so that you can recover back to a known good state once you figure out what happened. Mm -hmm. Another key thing that I found, again, this is cost money, but it is, you know, in light of the the threat is have available, so for instance, if you're running a, a certain database product and it needs to run on a particular rack of, or type of server or type of platform, having the ability to have those systems available offline so that you can spin them up in a failover or uh, a redundancy model so business continuity planning a lot of people do business continuity planning from a you know physical disaster flood power outage what have you having some systems available where you could quickly deploy those vms and those containers with your database with your hr systems with your customization management whatever those mission critical enterprise applications are to get you back up and running while you both figure out what went wrong but also while you wait for your oem to or your your supplier to ship you new systems if you can't recover having the ability to get back at least partially up and running is going to be absolutely important. And so having redundant systems available that you can then bring online, having the ability to go to the cloud when needed, to burst to the cloud so that you can recover, even if in a cloud ba- uh, basis until you get your local systems back up and running. Those are kind s- of the techniques that you could use. I was going to
0: say cloud would probably be the easiest, Right. Maybe. Well, in,
1: th- in yeah. theory, the problem with cloud, of course, is that it can be ransomware like the rest of your data. So it's about keeping cloud resources in a pristine state. In a pristine state.
0: So yeah. maybe even saying, hey, I've got my business continuity cloud is actually a different cloud service provider.
1: Potentially, yes. That's one That's one step. The other that we've seen uh, organizations start to do is what we call the canary in the coal mine. Is having systems deployed across your enterprise that have the sensors turned to eleven. Now those systems are not going to be performing great because they're going to have 20 different security tools on them and they're going to be doing every kind of check. But you want to have a couple of those out there, they're going to be the early warning system that something's going wrong. And so what often the problem that you find with a lot of security products is oh it's it's too, it's too costly from a performance perspective or it, it takes too much storage or it's so too slow on my ui so you don't deploy it across the organization. Whereas what you can be doing is deploying them in just some places and putting out those sort of those those canaries to be early warning systems and get them out there. Um, that's another technique that so this way you can like be that. quicker on the on the on the cusp of detecting something is going wrong or seeing that is having those sensors out there in your enterprise live so that you can detect when suddenly you're seeing a lot of like crypto traffic that you didn't see before. It's crypto traffic going to certain domains, those kind of things. So definitely have the canaries into your enterprise and then the 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 challenge and this is something that a lot of people um are struggling with right now do we pay the ransomware do we talk to the fbi regardless of what your plan is have a plan that is the key you may not you're still going to get screwed it's still going to happen if something's going to happen you're going to get the ransomware but it's if then suddenly it's figure, okay what do we do that's going to you're going to be behind the eight ball the whole time so start with having a plan what is it from a, and the plan should be implemented, not just with technical people, with your lawyers, your compliance officers, your CEO, your CFO, counsel, everyone should be together and say, here is the plan for when we get hit by a ransomware or a data breach. Who do we call? What numbers do I, you know, having the FBI's phone number and having that plan on a piece of paper so you can access it <laughs> is a report. I can't access my plan. It's, it's,
0: it's, it's been a ransomware.
1: Yeah, but so definitely have a plan that everyone's bought into so that when it happens, you kick that plan into motion and people know what to do. So you're not scrambling and that will buy you time because then a lot, if you look at some of the attacks that have happened, you look at the investigations, there was lots of time, weeks that weren't biased. People trying to figure out what to do or who do I call before anyone started doing anything. Um, and then whatever the plan is, and again, I'm not advocating for one thing or another, but make sure you have that plan and everyone bought into it. So you're ready to go. And if your plan is that you're going to pay the ransomware, you should know how to buy Bitcoin. If your plan is to call the FBI, you should have the local FBI office and the digital office's numbers and, and contact information. The other piece is war game that plan. So not only impo- not only have a plan, but run the exercise, see if it works, see if your teams are well are trained in what to do, so and then tweak it based on the outcome. So you're not just have a plan, but you run it just like you would a, a disaster recovery or a business continuity plan. Ransomware is one of those kind of effects now that we should be having well tra- documented and well practiced plans. So
0: it should fit in your business continuity strategy now. Right? Absolutely, cyber attack, ransomware, data breach are, are probably the two big ones in 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 your cyber attack
1: plan. Absolutely,
0: I I actually really like that idea. Very, you know, I I think that's something that. Um, a lot of uh, mid-size and even big companies don't have yet and they absolutely need. So great, great, great idea. Now I have another question on ransomware and this probably goes to the meatpacking industry. What, um, and it, it, it's another friend of mine that I have that um, does um, envelope mailings, right? And he, he said his number one concern is ransomware in shutting everything down. So he has segmented off his OT from his IT completely. His OT, the things that run his technology in his factory are not on the internet,
1: period. So he says, so here's the thing about IT, OT barriers. And again, Yeah. in theory, that's great. Yeah, I could separate my, but the reality is that our IT barriers are, are fused. Because how do you transfer, how do you manage the OT systems well there's things that tap in there, so they may not be directly on the Internet and. Most OT is not directly on the Internet, but the OT is managed by interface to and supported by it systems. They're co resident they talk to each other, and so the ransomware didn't come in and attack JBS over the Internet directly to their OT systems that's not how that happened that's not how most. Of the you know the pipeline or any of these other systems it started on the it side and then propagated over and so anyone who thinks that they can totally separate their ot systems from their it systems may need to look at what that is because the reality is is that you're even that you think about it a trouble ticketing system so some machine goes down has to issue a ticket so that a maintenance person can be scheduled to go out there that's an it system Someone's getting an email message, that's an IT system. These systems are connected more than anyone thinks about. And so, yes, you don't put your manufacturing line directly on the internet, but you connect it to your corporate network. And if you don't have good security on that ITOT barrier and are protecting the transfer and the communications, And doing implementing so that some of those uh, security authentication, uh, two factor, and so forth on that barrier, you're going to have the crossover, and that's what happened. Many of those organizations had good OT security, at least in theory, but they weren't protected from the IT side of the camp, or from someone
0: someone... said, "Hey, I need to be able to see the status of that machine when I was on vacation or
1: during COVID." Well, I mean, it's not even that extreme. Just imagine you're on your corporate network managing that ot system you're not outside you're not in the internet your corporate internet has access to it and you can access that system internally same laptop
0: gotcha so understanding those barriers putting the proper guards there, mm-hmm. right gateways and guards is essential it's not you just have to understand you have to monitor the, the, those gateways
1: absolutely and i think one of the things that people also uh, think about you know they think that ot and it are truly separated um your yes your manufacturing line itself may be running on on computing machines that are running those manufacturing but much of what drives your supply chain your logistics and and the overall organization that makes your business run is o- IT systems you may be producing meat or producing a widget but how you sell that widget how you get the, the raw materials into the warehouse to get that widget. It's all IT systems. So if they go down, your machine's may be able to be able to run, but yeah, nothing's going to leave and higher. nothing's going to come. Exactly. <laughs> and so I think that the, the, the idea that we can just separate a wall off the OT from the IT and then we're good, it's important because those, those OT systems are harder to secure, but it's more than just saying, well, I did that and I'm good. Your IT systems are mission critical. And I think that's The learning is that we are reliant on digital technology for all of our businesses.
0: Thanks for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you liked our episode, go ahead and give us five stars on your favorite podcast or video streaming site. You can also find out more on embracingdigital.com. Until next time, keep moving forward and do something wonderful.